Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, Guy Talk time, or Guys Who Talk, and what a panel we have assembled today. This is more people we've had in the studio uh, f- for three years. Two, three years, probably, <laughs> would you say? <laughs> All right, here's the power panel today. We've got Pastor Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and 007, Justin Jepson. That is the squad today. So let me know what... Your questions are, you can send them over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here. Hi, Bill. Thank you. Good Thank to you. be here, Bill. First question comes out of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 10. If a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Explain. <laughs> oh, okay, Peter, you're the professor. <laughs> I must have missed that in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Are you sure you're reading from the Bible? I was yeah. no, kidding. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 11. If a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer re- receives no fee. That was my question, and I knew no one would answer, so there you go. Let's move on. This could be a long hour. Prophesied <laughs> well. Let's move on to other uh, other questions. All right. Uh, in Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It seems a little harsh. How do we put that in context? Anybody got an insight on that one? Isaiah 59, verse 2. Well, I think on one hand, if you consider, like, the severity of sin is not so much... Um, about just the act itself, but by, but, but, but whom the act is toward. And so if, if, you know, uh, if we're acting against, if our sin is again in rebellion against our holy creator, God, that, that has eternal ramifications. And so, um, I think that the severity of, of our action of sin, um, is marked again by the, by the one whom we're offending or acting against. So uh, I, I think, is it harsh? I, I think it's not when you can not, if we have a right understanding of the holiness of God um, and, and who he is and who we are in light of him, um, I, I think it's, it exactly matches um, the, the, the consequence that, that we deserve in light of who he is. Now, it's uh, thankfully that do, it doesn't stop there though. That's why the gospel is so such good news and why God loves us and doesn't give up on us and still pursues us, even though we wander uh, like, like sheep and wander astray and we turn to our own way. But yet still he, he came, still he loves, still he forgives. Yeah, verse one puts it in the whole context. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or is there a dull that it cannot hear, but starts verse two, your iniquities have separated between you and the God and God. It's it's not his problem. It's our problem. He's provided the whole method of reconciliation, forgiveness, purpose life. The basic problem I see among uh, people that have claimed Jesus, Lord and Savior, then have kind of drifted off into other lifestyles, is that they don't understand that this is an ongoing relationship and that it has to be alive every single day. And every day I tell people, you've got to renew yourself to the Lord Jesus and walk with him. 
And it's not so much that I repent so I can make sure I go to heaven when I die. I repent because I'm in love with Jesus and I wanted to be like him because of all he's done for me. You know, I think for if, if, you, if someone's an unbeliever, they are separated from God. Their sin mm-hmm. separates them from God. I mean, God's descriptions of unbelievers in the Bible are you're dead in your trespasses yep. and your sins. You are separated from God. Your father is the devil. Uh, you are lost. You are far from God. You are separated from him. Those are the descriptions of unbelievers. When we come to faith in Christ, we are then brought near to God. He becomes our heavenly father, and we are united with him. Now, as a believer in Christ, I don't believe we can ever lose that salvation. But once again, this truism that sin separates us. When we sin, we don't lose our salvation, but our, our relationship with God is affected in a way. And uh, so I think it's true both for unbelievers, sin separates you from God from a salvation standpoint. But even once you're saved, when you're sinning, that relationship gets strained, if you will. Mm-hmm. Does shepherd boy Peter Kastner have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> well, with that by way of setup, I'm still wondering about that. Can you call that no yeah. shepherd boy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was just I was thinking uh, one thing I, I wonder about sometimes is that Jesus, when he appeared on the scene, he makes this statement that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so sometimes I, I like to observe the behaviors of Jesus and try to understand them some of these passages in light of that. And, and, and what I mean by that is that this can't be a statement from Isaiah 59 that every time we sin, God hides his face and doesn't hear. Because when we watch Jesus in action, who's he hanging out with? Right. He's hanging mm-hmm. out with sinners all the way to the point that the religious leaders of the day think that he's one of them. And so I think something specific in this Isaiah passage is that Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel specifically and he's talking to them about how they have failed in their vocation to be stewards of God's kingdom of light. And so from a long generational lack of stewardship, of walking in idolatry, uh, of not doing the things that the law had required, God said in this season now, or Isaiah is saying through, or God is saying through Isaiah that in this season, God is now hiding his face from you. The time of judgment has come. So I think I'd want to, I think all of what we've said is true. I think I would want to be a little bit careful, though, to just make a blanket statement along the lines that Isaiah is teaching us that every time we sin, God kind of removes himself because Jesus was moving right in the midst of sin in the people that he was around. Isn't it interesting in the New Testament? The church's relationship to Jesus is as a groom and a bride. We are the bride. He is the groom. That's the focus. If you've been married as long as I have, you know that not everything is harmonious all the time in your relationship. There are ups and downs. There are ins and outs. Now, my wife and I, we've never had an argument. We've had animated discussions, which I tell everybody, but not really so much argument. But there are days that we don't talk well to one another because we're angry. And so it is in those days then I have to come under conviction. I'm wrong, and I need to repent, and I need to go before the Lord and then back to her. It's the same way with Jesus. You know, he's not casting us out of his house when we sin. He's not saying you can't, I don't love you anymore for those that are believers. He's saying, just don't continue to walk in that. Let's find a way to reconcile. For the unbeliever, he's trying to get him in the house. Mm-hmm. They're on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, that, you know, to both of your points, too, and, and Peter, again, I think having a you know, the greater understanding of the context here, even from Isaiah, you know, uh, Tom, you brought up the very first verse. If you jump to the end of the chapter, you know, it says, and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from their transgressions. And you look at the prophetic books, it's always the call for repentance. Mm-hmm. And and when they repent, the Lord's not like, oh, I'm sorry, no, you lost your chance. You, the, you can only repent, you know, X amount of times, you know, my face is still hidden. 
No, and it says, and, 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 and it says, declares the Lord. And that's why verse, and then chapter six, or chapter 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So there, we get this idea of those who return and those who repent, the Lord welcomes back and embraces and heals. And, and, and again, his, his, his heart is, is bent on steadfast love. Yeah. And I think the negative moves of God towards his beloved, towards the image bearers, um, when we see God's anger erupt in the turning over of the the tables in the temple, for example, or God removing a people or whatever that looks like, it's almost always reserved specifically for people who are in religious leadership and are standing in the way of God's redemptive activity to get where it needs to go. And in those places, God does move in anger and he does disrupt the situation. But I'm afraid that we end up just making these blanket statements that for anybody who's walking in sin, struggling with sin, trying to work through it, all of that, that they think that anytime they do it, God just sort of steps back again. Well, now we're living not with a God of unconditional love towards us and moving towards us. The Bible, if we just let it be what it is, it says absurd things like where your sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Mm -hmm. And so the, the way God meets, generally speaking, his beloved is with grace in our sin is while we were yet sinners, mm -hmm. the heavens opened and Christ died for us. So um, I, I know I've lived enough of my life where I feel like I've got to kind of clean myself up a little bit before I can maybe turn my face back towards God and then maybe have a few good days and then I can turn that direction. God really only disrupts in those big places of anger towards the religious elite that are keeping God away from the beloved. I think one of the things that really upsets people is that Jesus, this is the offense, Adolf Hitler himself could have repented on his deathbed and gone into the kingdom of God. You say, well, wait a minute, all the stuff that he did. That's what we don't understand about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, you know, if we take it for granted and we don't continue to walk in that relationship, you know, we don't want to wind up ignoring Jesus for all of our life. That's just as bad in the end. Yeah, and I think the, the truth, when you turn to God in faith through his son, your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He no longer counts his sin against you. So I think one of the big points to this discussion is when you believe you are, you stand forgiven before God. Yeah. So good. Uh, Peter, your thoughts. Did you come across those when you were tending your flock? <laughs> <laughs> I was playing the harp and just were keeping you? the bears away yeah. from the yeah, sheep. Right. You know, just, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Is <laughs> that where there's a sheep at the door? Yeah, that, that <laughs> is, <laughs> perfect sense. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and if you've got a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. We've got one full studio today. We've got uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, Jeff Ferdorn, Peter Kapsner, and Justin Jepson. And Rosie on the board is uh, as sensational as always. Be right back. talk or guys who talk and the studio is full awfully glad to have the uh, friends gathered around the table talking about word of god and the great fellowship that we enjoy it really is fun i have a blast by the i way. love it yeah good here's a question uh does eternal life begin when we accept jesus as our savior or not until we die what does the bible specifically say about being born again 
Great question. It starts the moment you believe. Jesus said, the moment mm-hmm. you believe, you pass from death to life in John 5. And that is one of the most phenomenal statements in the Bible, is eternal life begins the moment you surrender to Jesus. And then it goes on from there. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah, and, and uh, because, it, I mean, how does that start? If eternal life is a synonym for heaven, because I think a lot of people think that, and, and understandably so. But then how does it start now, if that's the question? But but really, in the, in the Greek language, when you see this word life show up, and it shows up all the way throughout the New Testament, it's one of the key themes of the New Testament. The word life is the Greek word zoe, and it means the kind of life that God himself enjoys. And and so eternal, that modifies that, is sort of indestructible in the sense of a Dallas Willard. If, if people that are listening want to read a bit about how Willard handles eternal life, when you just look at the Greek language, it's really a beautiful invitation, meaning that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, as we've been talking about, and you say, you are my Lord, I'm asking for forgiveness of sins, he then begins to bring into your life an indestructible kind of life. It's the kind of life that God himself enjoys, and it begins to overpower and overcome the sinful power that's going on in your life. So the point of all of that is I think it's really helpful to stop making eternal life a synonym for heaven or something that happens Mm. in the future. It's an indestructible way of life Mm. that can persist in the midst of the curse of sin and calls us all safely home. Yeah. Well, I think we go to John 17, 3. (laughs) Jesus said, go ahead. No, go for it. That's where I had opened. That was the moment he says, look, this is eternal life that they Mm -hmm. know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is seen in the New Testament, not just as a place, although there is a place. I'm not going to deny that. It's a relationship. Right. Right. And the relationship begins now. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says in John 10 that the the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you would have zoe. I have come that you would have life and overflowing. So if we're always making eternal life about heaven, how do you have overflowing heaven? I mean, the idea is, is that you're overflowing with the very life that God himself enjoys. And it's an incredible invitation in the gospel. Yep. Yeah, the easiest way I've, you know, again, to sum it up, it's eternal life begins the moment you believe and then it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It never ends because mm-hmm. that's the type of life. It's a relationship with the one who is life. And so even though, you know, when Jesus says that you know, when you raised Lazarus, right, even though you die, yet you will live. And mm-hmm. he who believes in me will no longer die. I'm the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that's the, that's the amazing promise that we have. And we can know that we have that eternal life. Yeah. You know, John ends First John with, I write these things to those who believe so that you may know yeah. that you have eternal life. You can know that you know that you know. His spirit testifies with my spirit that we are his children. Mm. Right. And I, I love that opening to John, First uh, John in, in particular, where it says that this life appeared. It says that which we've seen from the beginning, that's what, which our hands have touched, which our ears have heard. We say this, proclaiming the word of life, the life appeared. And, and I love that idea that the incarnation was Jesus in flesh manifesting the very life of God. I mean, everywhere he went, the life of God was with him everywhere. So I just, again, I can't encourage people enough to, to move from the idea that the gospel is all about doing some interchange where you get heaven when you die. No, yeah. the interchange is that at that empty tomb, the curse of sin was broken mm-hmm. and there was a new sheriff in town and death was overcome by the life of God and, and that Jesus gives us that life in this life uh, while we're still battling sin and death. Mm. That's right. There are five in the studio today, so as we are sort of cross-firing and, and, and talking quickly and kind of bouncing from one guest to another, uh, hang in there. I, I know you can recognize our voices. If you hear something said that's particularly wise, it's most likely me. But, um, <laughs> what? What? Or Shepherd Boy. Or Shepherd Boy. Yeah, he's come through today. Um, that was 007 that made that comment. <laughs> All right. So here's another uh, question that came in. So what you all said about forgiveness is confusing and concerning. Are we forgiven or 
are we needing to be forgiven afresh every day for us to enter the kingdom of heaven? That's a, I, I like the question. That's Tom Parrish. So yeah. if this is wrong, that's Tom Parrish. <laughs> <laughs> the moment we believe we, we have the gift of eternal life, we repent every day not to get eternal life or to say, I'm going to be closed out this day because if I die today, I'm not going to get in but because we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And the goal of the Christian life is not merely to get to heaven. It is to become like Jesus, Mm -hmm. to think Mm -hmm. like him, to talk like him, to behave like him, to do the great things he did. Think about it for a moment. If we had Christian churches in America where every single Christian really pursued Jesus and behaved like him, we would transform this entire country. We would transform the world. But as it is, we don't think in those terms all the time. And we need to go back and talk about that a lot. I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, the homosexual offenders, the thieves, the greedies, the drunkards, the slanders, the swindlers. You're going to find yourself in there someplace, right? But God says this, and that is what some of you were. Mm -hmm. But you were washed, you were sanctified, meaning you were made holy, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you become a believer in Christ Jesus, as we said earlier, your sins are forgiven. They have been separated from you. God no longer counts them against you. So you've been washed clean. You are now a saint in God's eyes. He's declared you holy, hagios, that Greek word meaning holy, the saint. And that's what you are. Now, saints sometimes miss the mark, and we fall short. And that's where Tom was saying, that's where we turn to God and say, oh, Lord, I fall short every day. Thank you that I'm still one of your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another way to you know, look at this, too, is the, the, the forgiveness doesn't reestablish the, the covenant you know, of the new covenant of being, being made new, being born again, but, but it helps restore a brokenness in a relationship and a closeness that's there. In the same way that when I hurt or sin against my wife, it doesn't mean that we're no longer married, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it means that there was a separation. There's a relational right. fracture. I still need to extend forgiveness um, and, and, and receive forgiveness myself. And so, um, so I think that's more of what we were getting at. It's now a new dynamic, a type of relationship where we are in the family of God, but to uh, to Jeff's point, we still do miss the mark. We still do sin, and this, like any other relationship, of which our one with the, with Jesus is the most important, and from which shape all the other relationships in our, of our lives. Um, which is why you know he says you ought to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. You know, so forgiven people forgive people. There's you know an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron according to the New Testament. So correct. Here's a question. In the Apostles' Creed, in the latter part, it states, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And sometimes we say, I believe in the Christian Church. And I've heard some pastors muffle that line. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) And and what is the correct way to state that line? Well, I think Catholic just means universal, right? It just means that you're, yeah. I mean, if we're we're talking about not the Catholic denomination, we're just talking about we believe that we're part of an entire body and, and family of Jesus. Yep. All right. We can move on from there, can't we? All right. Um, let's see here. So um, technically saying it either way yeah. is okay. Uh, they, they mean the same thing in that context, yes. Yep. All right. Give me just one more second here. Um, how did they go from Jesus' birth and the star and everyone seeing that child called Emmanuel, God with us, then 33 years later, they didn't remember? Were those at the uh, birth dead or how did that birth and its significance vanish in only 33 years? 
If I can start on this one, I think if you go through John, it's interesting because Jesus will do a miracle or do a teaching, and you have one group of people that want to kill him and another group of people that want to follow him and believe in him. Mm-hmm. So there's every time Jesus shows up, you you find people, some are going to believe him and accept him and believe his message, and others are going to reject him and uh, not accept his message and, and want to crucify him. I think from the time of his birth, there were some that, remember, the shepherds had angels to tell them, hey, this guy's here, go take a look at him. So they had a message from God to tell him something special was going on down there. But 33 years later, we see it in the book, of, we th- see it throughout Jesus's life. Some will believe him, others will not. Yeah. And, and the reality too, right, we see that that same type of ignorance and indifference at the time of Jesus' birth. And I've been always amazed when the Magi did come in and he talked with Herod and then he inquired of the chief priests and the scribes of the people when the Christ was to be born and they cite the scripture. And I just, for me, it's, it's, it was astounding to think here's a, here's a group of these foreigners that are coming in saying that they saw this star and they're trying to find the birth of the Messiah and they know the scripture, but yet they don't follow them. Like you look realize what doesn't happen. And so I think there was so much mixture of responses and postures and attitudes towards Jesus, partly mainly because of so many had, there's such a huge mixture of expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be and what they wanted him to do and not do and the timing of all of that. So uh, I think for on one hand, I'm not surprised by that. And, you know, if I look at my own life, I, <laughs> I so quickly forget and uh, I'm a slow learner. And so I can I can empathize even even Jesus's own disciples right from the moment they were called to the moment of the garden and they flee and it's like did they not think about the last three years that they just spent an intimate relationship and knowledge with Jesus but yet they flee and so I think it you know three years or thirty years um, that's I think that's part of our human tendency well if you look at the scriptures if you take all the people that discovered that Jesus was the Messiah you can put them all in the studio I mean we have basically Shepherds, we don't know how many we had, doesn't say. We have wise men, doesn't say how many. But we're looking at a handful of people. We're not looking at all of Jerusalem that everybody woke up that day and said, the Messiah's been born. You know, mm-hmm. wonderful. No, it was a few people. And so 30 years later, 33 years later, I'm not sure who remembers or remembers well. Uh, I've gone to a lot of football games, and I remember how we forget, you know, the field goal kicker. You know, <laughs> if he doesn't make it, he's no good anymore. <laughs> people are like that. We forget quickly. But it was only a handful that found out in the beginning who he was. Yep. This hour is flying by. We're already halfway done. If you have questions, send them over, 877-933-2484. That's the text line, 877-933-2484. I'll say one more time, 877-933-2484. If you feel like you've got a longer question, you can email it to me at bill at myfaithradio.com. Power panel today is... uh, Pastor Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, Peter Kapsner, and Justin Jepson. What a team. Be right back.
Welcome to the show. It is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. And I promise we have so much fun during the break. And if we could only air that, I think you would enjoy that a great deal. It's great to be with men of God who love God's Word. And uh, it's fun to be with friends who love each other. So mm-hmm. power panel today is uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin 007 Jepson. That's the team. All right, here's a question that came in. Anything new you have learned about Jesus and his love for us through the crucifixion or suffering? A great question. Mm-hmm. Who wants to go first? I'm looking your way, shepherd boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just hard to know how to respond. I was going to throw it to chart boy, but I guess I'll go first. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think I was listening to some things from N.T. Wright the other day when he was um, talking about the atonement. And one thing that I really appreciated that he said is, is he said, be careful not to reduce the atonement down to any one thing that happened there. There was so much concentrated on that Good Friday. And so look at it through some different prisms. And I think for me, the prism I've been looking at it through in this last year is that the heart of our faith really is the resurrection. I've been really um, sitting with Paul's words that say that if the resurrection has not happened, our faith is in vain. And, and I think there was more that happened in the resurrection than Jesus just simply was vindicated for his teachings. That if he had not been raised, then again, the power of sin and death would still reign among the beloved. But he was the first fruits of this new resurrection life that had conquered the power of sin and death. And the point of that is that he couldn't conquer sin and death unless he became willing to die. And so whatever was going on between God and Jesus and in the great court of the heavens and and words like justification, however we understand those sorts of things, the reality is, is that he was the only one who was capable of breaking the power of sin and death. And that meant he had to become subject to death. And, And for divinity to become subject to death, meant that it had to fully empty itself. This is the Philippians passage, that though he was in, in very nature God, he didn't consider that equality something to be hung on to. He let it all go, and he became willing to be subject to death and, and the horrors of all of it. It was completely undeserved. He, there was nothing that he had to do. It was out of his great lavishing love that he said, you know what, beloved, you cannot handle the power of sin and death but I can. And so I will diminish on your behalf to walk in those waters and explode out the other side. So now you have a way to, and when I sit in all of that, then, then the grace of God just, just breaks me in those moments. You know, you, you asked the question about God's love and the, the verse from Romans five came into my mind, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, hmm. Christ came and died for us. The creator of the universe came as a man and man killed God on the cross but like you talked about this atonement, but there's a reason for it. And he came to atone for man's sin. And God placed the sin of us all, the iniquities of us all, on Christ that day on the cross. And he died and rose again in power and glory. And he offers that resurrection life to whosoever believes. It's, it, it seems like this whole thing was motivated by God's love. Mm-hmm. And, and that truth should be new for us uh, every morning. I think Romans 5, 8 has really kind of perked me up. It says here, for if while we were enemies, enemies, not just sinners, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we're reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. I remember growing up, um, the neighborhood I was in, we had a mean kid across the street. I mean, he would throw stones at cars. Mom and dad didn't know what to do with him. And then I began to realize as I got older and I started to think about this, and this passage hit me a couple of weeks ago. I'm not any different than that kid. I'm an enemy of the Lord Jesus himself until he came to rescue me. 
And the only reason I'm saved is not because of my righteousness, goodness, or that I made a good decision. It's because he sacrificed himself. And that so has overwhelmed me, and it should overwhelm all of us, that the rest of our life is in pursuit of him. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah. Here's a yeah. comment that came in. I've experienced a paradigm shift after hearing Dr. Kapsner talk about the Greek word for life heaven. Thank you. Mm. It's, why, it's, why didn't I hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Probably because I don't listen this carefully. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it, it, it actually, I mean, uh, I appreciate that comment because the, it really changed my entire faith journey when I when when somebody, this is not sort of like my interpretation. There, all you have to do is just look at a lexicon, and there's plenty of authors who write about this as well, that uh, I have my students do uh, an assignment where they have to actually study what the life of God is in the biblical text, and they inevitably, 30 out of 30 students come back and they say, Kapsner, why hasn't this been taught? It takes about 13 seconds in a commentary and a lexicon to see what's here. But you, you can go back through history and, 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 and see the moments in history when we reduce the gospel down to, um, to trying to get yourself into heaven when you die through some sort of mechanism or ritual. And that's been the question for quite a while. But the invitation of the faith is that we once again get to participate in the Trinitarian life of God in this beautiful relationship and fellowship with our Father. And, and when sin is present in those ways, you cannot do that. Uh, you, you cannot live in the beautiful, uh, unencumbered life of God in that Trinitarian life. And so when Jesus came, he broke that power of sin and death. And he said, now you're swept up back in my life and you get to enjoy the kind of life that I enjoy as well. And, and in our perishable bodies, this side of heaven, that eternal life that that wells up in us, we have to go through the waters of death so that we can be raised imperishable. And thus, now we finally have a permanent body that can also house the eternal life of God that is dwelling in us. It's It's a beautiful invitation. It's what... La, la, the last comment about that, it's, it's what it means that though our outer person is decaying, our inner person is being renewed day by day with this beautiful life of God. And so the waters of death actually become a great grace mm. so that we can have a, a, an imperishable body to greet the imperishable life that's in us. Yeah. Yeah. I think alongside of that too, just to tie that, that, that back to, to love, you know, right. Um, and that, that God is, God is love. Um, I, I just, something this again, it wasn't necessarily something new, but it struck me in a new way, but reading it, John 13, and Jesus said that the moment had come for him to depart out of this world to the father. And this, this line here, having loved his own who are in the world, this, he loved them to the end. Mm. And just to meditate on that for a few moments, he loved them to the end. And he would go on to say in John 15, that greater love is no one than this. And someone lay down his life for his friends. He said in John 10 of a good shepherd, I lay down my life and I will take it back up again. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and then on his last moments on the cross, he's using his precious last breaths to express love to the very ones who are trying to take it away mm-hmm. and saying, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I just, that endless love, mm-hmm. um, has just captivated me in a new way this, this week. Great answers. Here's another question. Let's talk about Jesus, how could he have been sinless and been able to offer the perfect sacrifice if he didn't have a sin nature and have to overcome it in this life of perfect obedience? How could he redeem us in our sin by his death and resurrection? He would have been not fully human and therefore unable to bridge the gap. I think there's more being read into the text than is really coming out of the text. In this sense, Jesus was sinless because he chose to walk with the Father. In other words, he walked the perfect life because he said, I do nothing except what I see my Father doing. What he's shown us there is that this is the way 
we were designed to walk with the God the Father. Nobody has, except Jesus. Now, Jesus was tempted just like we are. I think he was tempted in, in so many ways, and yet he had the ability to look at the bigger picture and to understand his purpose. One of the things I discovered working with kids all these years, and I think the big mistake we make in Christianity is that we, we teach kids a lot of good Bible stories, and I'm all for that. But we should be teaching kids and young adults that they, they were born for a purpose and they have an identity. And they need to live out that identity in Jesus, and they need to live out that purpose because Jesus understood that. And in understanding that, he never let sin dominate him. And that's the power now that we are in Christ Jesus that he's giving to us. Because there are, I watch people get totally free from some sins. They've, it's, they've been set free by the power of the Lord, but they kept turning to the Lord too. So, yeah, Jesus had the potential of sinning, but he never sinned. So he's truly human. I don't, I don't know that I completely understood that question, but I think there's two truths that, that there's, there's an assumption in that question that needs to be addressed. And, mm-hmm. and the first is that Jesus was a man. He became a man. He was made like us in every way. He was made like his brothers in every way. It says in Philippians 2 that he was found in the appearance of a man, yet he humbled himself and became obedient to death. So one is Jesus Christ was as much human as you and, uh, and I. And yet, truth too, what you were just mentioning, Tom, is that he was without sin. So Jesus is the only man who's ever walked the face of the earth that walked by perfect faith every moment of yeah. his life in God the Father. Yeah. And I think the other assumption there that needs to be addressed is, you know, that sinning is 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 a as an aspect of being human. It's actually not. It's a part of the fallen human nature, but sinning is not a part of God's design of what it means to be human. Jesus was the perfect human, and and I remember one time I had a a student in high school youth group when I was a youth pastor a number of years ago ask, well, then how could Jesus truly understand? what it's like to sin and then have to be forgiven, you know, like that, that remorse that you feel and you need to, and I, I remember coming across at that time and this, this is baffles me. Second Corinthians five twenty that he who knew no sin became sin in order that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has an understanding of sin that you and I will never be able to touch mm-hmm. because that was the very cup that he asked the father in the garden. If there's any other way, mm-hmm let this cup pass for me. And so that, that reality that the cup of wrath for all sin was going to be poured out upon him. That's something that you and I, we, we could not bear. And only a perfect human who's fully God and fully human <laughs> would be able to, to, to bear that and endure that on our behalf. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most misunderstood and less taught scripture passages in the entire Bible that Jesus literally, it says, became sin for us so that we <clears> might you know, have his righteousness. And I think sometimes we think that he picked up our bag of sin and just dropped the bottom of the cross when he died there. And yet the implication of the Greek is that it fully absorbed him in that moment. And it's hard to comprehend. It's beyond human understanding. Mm -hmm. But did Jesus understand what we go through more than any of us understand Mm -hmm. what we go through? Mm -hmm. You know, I think we focus as people, uh, I know in movies, it's the physical aspects of the cross that is often depicted. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it hurts to watch. Have you watched The Passion of the Christ? Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a hard movie to watch to see any man going through that, let alone the Messiah, your Christ, your Savior going through that. But as as difficult as that is to watch, the significance of the cross is what you just described, the spiritual aspect. He became sin or a sin offering for yep. us, mm-hmm. right? It's the spiritual transaction on the cross that is the most significant. Mm. Yeah, gosh, I just, 
And it does. So like your idea, Parrish, about that, that he absorbs sin or that the sin came for that, what was going on in the spiritual realm. I, one of the things that I don't fully understand how it works, but it's what the Bible teaches is that sin is actually a power that's at work. It gets enacted through human beings. But the first time we run into sin in the biblical text, it's with Cain and Abel. Uh, clearly there's sin with Adam and Eve, and that's part of the exile. But when sin is described really in its fullness for the first time after Cain kills Abel, God says to Cain, be very careful for sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. And then Paul begins to talk about that in terms of a power that's at work. It's like a leprosy in this world. It's disfiguring, it's destroying. And I don't understand all of what happened on the cross, but um, there's this idea that Jesus, that God intentionally drew all of the power of sin that existed in those moments on that cross, that, that, that entire leprous power that had destroyed and disfigured everything met Jesus in this cosmic collision on this cross. And, and Jesus died in the midst of it, as you said, perish, but he also overcame it on the other side. And thus sin now is we've been set free. And I don't understand how all of that works because my, my experience in life doesn't account for sin as a power. It's something we do. It's all of that. But there's actually an inanimate power that the Bible teaches that is the power of defiance that is in sin. All right, we're going to take a little break. We have time for your question. Text it over to 877-933-2484. Include in the question that you know Bill Arnold, and I'll get your question right to the top of the pile. I think that's a little perk today. We'll be right back with more God Talk. Thank you for joining me today. We've got Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and we've got a very full studio today, which makes me incredibly happy. It's just so fun to be with friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID, we didn't really do that very much, so it's oh. fun to be gathered together, and I love it. So thank you very much. Uh, the question that came in is, are there any verses that specifically talks about planning for our future, like money? My husband is of the thought that you should not worry about tomorrow because it will worry about itself. Any thoughts? Hmm. The Bible also says a wise man stores up an inheritance for his children's children. So I I think it's God gave us a mind to think, mm-hmm. uh, but also a heart to trust in Him. And I think we do both. I, I you know it's good to trust God, but if you, God also doesn't want to be uh, you know you don't want to mock God. You want to prepare for the future, but trust in Him. He knows tomorrow, and so I. I you know, this is interesting because some will say you shouldn't store up anything, you shouldn't save, you shouldn't invest, and so on. At the same time, you know that you are going to need these things in the future. So I don't see anything wrong with saving and investing and planning for the future as long as you do it in the sense of, hey, I'm going to trust God for my future no matter how I save or invest. And I don't think you should be wasteful either at the same time. So um, I don't, I've run into some Christians that want to say we don't need to save, we don't need to have a retirement account. Um, because Jesus is coming. I don't know when Jesus is coming. He didn't say when he's coming. I don't know. He says that you will not know the hour or the day when he's coming. And so I don't think there's anything wrong to plan for the future. No, I think we have to plan. There's wisdom in that. I think the problem is what we don't want to do is be penny counters on the one hand to where that's all we're interested in and ignore Jesus. But on the other hand, it's we want to put all those pennies in Jesus' hands 
for whatever he wants to do in the future. And I think one of the things I see in Christianity, uh, I've been blessed in the ministry I've been in, been able to raise a lot of money for a lot of different things. And I always tell people, we need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I'm willing to go out and talk to every pastor, leader, and other person I can about the need, because I never know where the Lord's going to bring the money from. Because in my experience, I don't know about the rest of you guys, I've never had money fall out of the sky. (laughs) It always came through something else, a product, a person, somebody Mm -hmm. had saved money or something like that. So the Lord will use those people, but most of them don't know they need to be used until they hear about the need. And so it's a combination of doing all of those things. Paul worked night or day not to be a burden to people. He was a tent maker. He worked. He made money. Uh, God also says that don't don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out grain. It's okay to make your living and and to to make money um, in ministry and and by preaching the gospel. None of those things are wrong. I, I think it ends up being a heart thing, right? What are you truly trusting in for your future? Are you trusting in your wealth? Or are you trusting in the Lord? I, so I think it's a hard thing mm-hmm. in the end. Let me ask another question as I'm treading out green. Um, <laughs> oh. Charming the snakes. Charming the snakes, yes. <laughs> yes. If, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Mm-hmm. You are still in your sins. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know we've been talking about that today, but I, I think we we probably for some of us have heard a gospel that i would say is it would be truncated or shortened and and really ends at good friday and we assume that the sin was dealt with on good friday because what was the heart of the atonement was that jesus took the sin that otherwise we should have taken and that and that he took the wrath of god and he died in our place in those moments and and i think there's senses of that that are true but when you look back throughout history Uh, You can also see the pivotal theological moments in the 17th century and in the 11th century and in the 5th century when some of those ideas were more in play. They were less in play in the early church. The early church version of the gospel was really that sin was finally defeated on Easter Sunday, not on Good Friday. Mm -hmm. And so I I think we have to start thinking about what it means to become an Easter Sunday people instead of a Good Friday only people, because this is really about an entirely new way of life in which we're able to live. The heart of the gospel is that we are no longer subject Mm. to the power of sin and death. That's it. There is a forgiveness factor, but that forgiveness is the first step to not becoming subject to. And I think too often we end with what I would say is a 17th version of the gospel that was just about Jesus. God needed to find some object for his anger. It was always going to be us, but he found Jesus instead. Well, if that's the gospel, then that actually ends on Good Friday. You don't need Easter Sunday in that gospel. And I know these are hard things to kind of think about, which is why we really probably need a a bonfire where all the Faith Radio family can come join us for several hours and really talk about these things because they're really important to talk about. But a lot of people feel really stuck in their faith. And they may, they may not realize that they're living a Good Friday-only faith that stops on some version of forgiveness when really the whole thing is futile. If that's what we all spend our time this Easter week doing this week, just wondering what it means to become an Easter Sunday people, I think we'd find mm-hmm. some pretty interesting invitations about what life with God can be like. Yeah. Well, yeah. and to your point too, Peter, you said, you know, talk about sin, and they're not just these isolated acts that we do. It's, it's actually a power at work. Right. You know, and I, and I think of, you know, Paul talks about in Romans 1, 4, that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So really the, the, the resurrection was him proving that he was who he said who he was mm-hmm. and that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Because mm-hmm. he said over and over, I'm going to suffer at the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified. I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. I will lay down my life, but I will take it up again. Yeah. 
And that's why sin, and when we see the picture of it, there's the metaphor of leprosy. I'll just go back to that for a second. You don't need forgiveness from leprosy. You need the removal of the leprosy. Now, please don't Mm -hmm. misunderstand what I'm saying. The forgiveness (laughs) is that God moves into the leprosy itself, forgives you as you repent. You say, I need help. I need help. And God comes in. The the leprosy was your fault. (laughs) And God, but God comes in in his grace with forgiveness, and he begins to destroy the power of the leprosy so that you can be restored. Salvation in the Greek language means to rescue from and then to heal. It's a two-part word in the Greek. And and so you need to be rescued from the power of the leprosy, and then you begin to be restored. The inner person's being renewed day by day while you wait for the final restoration on the other side. These concepts are so important for helping people that I think understandably want to live a life uh, of faith and hope, but they get locked in the in defeat in their moral intentions. You used to get up, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to do better today. Well, I, until we be, become an Easter Sunday people, it's really hard to walk in in sort of the natural life, the origin of which is supernatural in its power. Do you ever wonder why we call it Good Friday? The early church called it Good Friday for a reason, because they knew Sunday was coming. Right. And the point the point is when you look at the scriptures, you look at Monday, Thursday, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the New Covenant. His crucifixion on Friday, burial, and resurrection on Sunday, the Bible declares as one event. Not multiple events. Mm -hmm. It is all one event. Now, Satan didn't see it that way. He thought he had won. Right. We didn't see it that way. We thought he was in the tomb. But quite frankly, it was one event because Jesus knew he was coming out of the tomb. And so he did come out of the tomb, and that's the way we need to look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, the question brings up your faith is futile. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. This is kind of known as the resurrection chapter. Earlier in that chapter, it's talking about some didn't believe in resurrection. Right, right. And Paul is basically answering their question, is there a resurrection or isn't there a resurrection? He's going, don't you know, if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised, mm-hmm. and you're still dead in your trespasses mm-hmm. and sins. But he mm-hmm. goes, and and if he hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, right? There is no Christianity without the resurrection of right. Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead. That's the importance of that Sunday that you guys have all been talking about. He has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ is the only person in all of history, the only religious figure that has on his resume risen from the dead, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He's the only one. Yep. And uh, that's that's what makes Christianity unique. We said in the green room there are 4,200 religions in the world. Only one has an empty tomb mm. because he rose mm-hmm. from the dead. Yeah, and Jeff, as you're reading the passage, I found myself getting chills just with it. I mean, you're reading out loud the heart of the good news. And I was thinking about the Romans passage where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that to believe is not the strength of your intellectual conviction. To believe in the Bible is your willingness to fully lean into and surrender, yep. even if you still have doubt. And so you lean in and, and you surrender and you say, in my heart, I give you, Jesus, the full... I, yes, I will lean into the fact that you have been raised from the dead. And in that moment, you will be saved. The salvation that rescues us from the power of sin and death in this life and for eternity gets enacted in our lives. And it is a powerful and beautiful invitation. We are set free from the leprosy that's killing us. I want you guys to just talk briefly. We have two minutes left about how, how someone knows they've done that. Because, Peter, you just said it's more than intellectual consent. Yeah. So I, I want people to understand, wow, I, I have in fact placed my faith in Christ. Yeah. I, I mean, the faith that we see in the, in the biblical text of the Gospels is Jesus says some 93 times in the Bible, will you follow me? Mm-hmm. That's the heart of conversion. The answer, how you answer that question is it's not the strength of how well you follow. It is the, simply the conversion is I will turn from this way and go this way. And, and if you can say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, I believe 
um, that he was who he said he was, and I will follow him and let him be my shepherd for my life. That's how you know. Mm. Really good. Biblical faith is to believe it's true, yes, that intellectual part that you were talking about, but it's also entrusting Mm -hmm. for your salvation. And I always go to the thief on the cross. He, He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed who this guy was and entrusted that he had the power to bring him into his kingdom, even though they're both about to die. That's biblical Mm -hmm. faith. Mm. Nearly 50 years ago, uh, I personally had an encounter with Jesus that really changed the direction of my life. It's now been 50 years, and I am just as excited today about it as I was 50 years Mm. ago. Matter of fact, I'll be honest, guys, I'm more excited because I know who he is, I know where I'm going, and every day it's a new adventure. Amen. Yeah. Gentlemen, happy Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, you too, Bill. Bill. You yeah, bet. you too, Bill. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm going to need an extra minute or two just to ventilate the studio now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of proximity in here, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a it's nice tight. great locker room all of a sudden. <laughs> all the sheep in here. It's yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Justin Jepson, Tom Paris, Jeff Redorn, Dr. Peter Kapsner. We're going to take a break. When we come back, ask the professor. There's more questions. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. Dr. Mark Muska will be my guest for the whole hour. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.